0: Psychic Parrot: The podcast about amazing animals and the strange power of pets with Al and Fred. Give us an intro. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, Psychic Parrot, uh, the show about the mysterious power of pets and mythical creatures of the over-and-under and and in-between world.
1: Exactly, Fred. That's a very good way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, this is Fred and Al again. But again, if you didn't listen to part one, uh, maybe you want to do that, but that's fine. Yeah, people prefer. I would like to make a formal apology to anybody who thought I would not be talking about Sasquatches today. Oh. <laughs> but I'm not. Oh. <laughs> so, ha, I'm talking about the skunk ape of Florida, <laughs> the poor man Sasquatch. <laughs> uh, no wonder it didn't get that famous. He's on the way. He's a rising star. Oh, okay. He is... Or not he, she, they, it, whatever. They're they're on the way. I think you'll be hearing more about Floridian skunk apes in the near future. Skunk ape, eh? Stinky ape. People are just tired of the squash, you know? Hmm. They want something fresh and new blood, you know? Yeah. That's just how it is. We used to like Johnny Depp movies, and now people want to watch movies with uh, Timothy Shamalama Ding Dong. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course we do. Exactly. So It's all right. That's fine. Yep. And so make way for the skunk cape of Florida. <laughs> so who's this guy? So this is, again, thanks to probably one of the best websites I pull information from, which yep. is the, the Smithsonian website. Yeah. So even on the way to reading about skunk capes, I found an unrelated article about meth pollution in waterways turning trout into meth addicts. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the sort of thing. This is just me plugging their website. There are so many incredible that's... articles on this website. That... Well, that's not even a myth. That's not even a myth. There are, there are trout out there that are slightly addicted to methamphetamine. Just, yeah. So if you want a constant flow of punchy articles, this is the website for you. Really, it is. So <laughs>
0: if you want to catch more trout, you have to cook some meth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yep. There's actually a King of the Hill episode about that, but oh. they use they use crack. Okay. But anyway, we, we make <laughs> Simpsons references, not King of the Hill references. Yeah, yet. exactly. Want to prove there's a skunk ape? Get it on tape. Yeah, that's the old skunk ape
0: saying. Grainy, grainy uh, VHS. Uh,
1: you know. Not even this video was not grainy. This no. was a straight up videos and pictures mm. of a guy in a gorilla costume running oh. in a swamp. <laughs> but maybe they're smart enough maybe yeah, but who's to say that skunk a skunk ape didn't find a gorilla costume and go this is going to be excellent for uh, keeping me you know hidden. you're going to need two three skunks to operate the gorilla costume but exactly yeah. well skunk apes are about the size of a man in a gorilla costume okay <laughs> If As you're looking for a size reference, <laughs> so about the size of a Sasquatch, <laughs> also the size of a Sasquatch. <laughs> so they're essentially just a smelly Bigfoot. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and no one has ever said
1: that Bigfoot was uh, smelling nicely. Yeah, exactly. So, but again, nobody ever. I think that's it. Like, but nobody who ever saw a Bigfoot complained about the smell. No. To the point that they wanted to be called a skunk ape. Mm. Like, so these guys live in the Everglades. Mm. But yeah, these guys, uh, that's where these guys are. So local man, Dave Sheely, when he was 10 years old, mm. uh, gave this account. It was walking across the swamp and my brother spotted it first, but I couldn't see it over the grass. I wasn't tall enough. <laughs> my brother picked me up and I saw it about 100 meters away. We were just kids, and we'd heard about it, and knew for sure what we were looking at. It looked like a man, but completely covered with hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I think he sounds. He's pretty into this. So him and his brother st- stared at the creature, mouths agape, apparently. they they they're, sh- they're shocked by this. And then the ape runs away into the thing, and he's like, wow, this is crazy. He remembers thinking holy crap, I finally <laughs> saw the damn thing, and it got away. Just like that. <laughs> so, so Dave, now in his 50s, so 40 years later, yeah. he is still a believer, and he's seen them a few more times since then. And he's gone as far as founding the uh, Skunk Ape Research Headquarters. <laughs> and you can visit this place. <laughs> Which is his trailer out back. It, it's a, it is a trailer. It's also a campground. <laughs> yes. He has a menagerie, and yeah, he's the self-proclaimed Jane Goodall of Skunkapes. Yeah. Dave did finally catch one on film, uh, relatively recently. So this is again from the Smithsonian. This is all from the Smithsonian. So in this video, it's a it's a skunk ape running. Just you see that he's he's doing what like the Bigfoot did, but he's a little bit more scared, because you know in that Bigfoot video. The Bigfoot walks, sees the guy with the camera, just doesn't really Mm. care and keeps walking. Jiggle his tits and keep walking. Yeah, Yeah, the skunk ape was more like, oh, shit, better get out of here. I'm not Mm. supposed to be seen. So Sheely noted that at this time, the swamp was covered in a foot of water, which meant that the speed the animal was going at, which he estimated to be about 22 miles an hour, would not be possible to achieve by a man wearing a gorilla costume. (laughs) So... (laughs) I don't know that, and it doesn't look like it's going super fast, really. No, even if
0: they fast-forward. Yeah.
1: Well, look up the video. It's, okay. Uh, it's good. So then Bob DeGross, a public affairs officer at Big Cypress Preserve, where the animal has usually been spotted, said, There has never been a substantiated sighting of a skunk ape that has been verified by the National Park Service Wildlife Staff. <laughs> Crickets point out that despite dozens of unrelated ongoing research Projects conducted in the Everglades that use motion-activated trail cameras. No one's ever captured any indisputable proof of this gun cape, or come across any remains of one. But they do say that the empirical evidence is extremely weak, and that it's almost entirely eyewitness testimony. Uh, and apparently, that's the most unreliable type of evidence <laughs> when you're trying to prove something is yeah. eyewitness. So then, but Dave Sheely. Doesn't agree, I'm observing that like in a swamp things decompose super quickly. There's two point two million acres of the Everglades. It's one of the largest protected areas in the in the U.S. And most of it's not visited. Mm. So like it is possible, he says. It, he says it's easy to imagine that a handful of reclusive animals could live essentially unnoticed and leave virtually no evidence. And he says, I know what I've seen. Yeah, he <laughs> sure does. <laughs> For someone who hasn't come here and am putting the time and say otherwise, <laughs> don't really matter to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, uh, no, I'm going to regret this episode so much. Fuck.
0: Little does know his little brothers. Out there in the gorilla costumes. His older brother. Yeah, like checking the local
1: rentals at the local fucking party store. Yeah. So you made the video a week earlier you rented the gorilla costume. Okay. Mm, interesting. So <laughs> skunk capes do allegedly appear in the mythology of local Native American tribes, though. Yeah. So the Simenoles and the Miccosukee Apologies again for the pronunciation. They apparently have some sort of large humanoid cryptid myth that they've tried to say. So earliest sighting of the skunk ape was possibly in 1957, but so much belief in this uh, fella gathered over the 60s and 70s that a bill was introduced, it didn't pass, into the Florida legislature in mm. 1977 that would make it illegal to take, possess, harm, or molest anthropoid or humanoid animals. Huh. So somebody tried to get it onto Florida's laws that you can't mess with a skunk cape if you find one. Ah. Uh, Isn't that cool? Yeah, it makes me believe in the humanity. Yeah. Like, so this was sort of around, like, recently 40 people on a uh, tour bus all claimed to see a, a skunk cape. Huh. And. This made Dave want to ramp up his efforts, oh. and he wanted to see, well, wait a second, let's let uh, let's get some traps going, or let's get some humane traps, and what do skunk capes love? Oh, if you get bananas? it. Bananas? Pineapples. They like lima beans. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: lima beans?
1: Yeah, so he would. <laughs> How did he figure that out? I'm not. I'm not the head of this skunk ape research. You know, I assume that he's figured this out somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he has he's gone out, um, set these traps or these viewing stations, and he has repeatedly found the beans missing in the morning. <laughs> Little does he know, his brother <laughs> yeah. loves hummus. So he still searches for the skunk ape. And if you'd like to join the hunt, you can buy a field guide for 4.95. It's available in the gift shop at the Skunk Cape Research headquarters. (laughs) (laughs) So, big up, man. I hope you find it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh. And so then I thought before we go into Scandy Corner, that we'd have a look at a future myth. A myth that hasn't been made yet. Whoa. Tripping me out here. Far out, man! Look the, the potential future myths! Here be dragons, man! So, sorry, that wasn't directed at you, that was oh, just okay, me okay, riffing. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, days of future myths. Um, in 1981, the Department of Energy gathered a group of scientists, engineers, and linguists together. ...to form what they call the Human Interference Task Force. Yeah. So the issue is that there is no method available... ...to continuously provide the necessary knowledge... ...about the location of nuclear waste over thousands of years. So the goal is to find a method for ensuring... ...that whatever is left of humanity, or aliens... ...in 10,000 years is warned about nuclear waste storage facilities. Oh, yeah. Because the thought being... If you simply made physical or visible deterrence, the stupid monkeys that we are might think it's a trick and the structure's full of gold mm. or goodies or whatever you need. And because most of us can't read a text from a thousand years ago, why would it be any different in the future trying to read something ten thousand years old? Oh. Um, so they're gonna make a myth, huh? So it's it's telling people there are dragons in the forest to keep everybody out. <laughs> So and then David's gonna come in and just like, what if we make a safari? Exactly, but this group, <laughs> the Human Interference uh, Task Force, yeah, which I wish I'd been a part of, they came up with a few different ideas. So one was to one method considered was to create an atomic priesthood around <laughs> the concept to keep the knowledge. The problem being, knowledge of nuclear waste sites would be too much power to give one group, because then you've got political leverage Mm. because you know where the stuff's buried. And so they weren't super keen on that one. Another one was to put a code into the structure of certain flowers' DNA uh, with a necessary warning in it and plant these in abundance around sites. Uh, The issue is we don't know if in a 1,000 years or in 10,000 years' time people will have flower decoding technology. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so then they came up with a different answer and like maybe my favourite answer the other answer was bury it so deep that you would need the technology to dig that hole it would mean you were at the technological level to read the warning but that was the boring one so I didn't like that one but this one so in 1984 this is according to the Guardian newspaper again a great source of information (laughs) so in 1984 writer Francois Bastide and semiotician Paolo Fabri suggested the answer could lie in breeding animals that react with discoloration of the skin when exposed to radiation. Their role as a detector of radiation should be anchored in cultural tradition by introducing a suitable name, i.e. Raycat. Raycat. That's a cool name. In short, cats turn green when they go near radioactive material. Hmm. A legend passes through the millennia that triggers a response in humans to get out as soon as possible. So if we make it so that cats, using, you know, phosphorescence or whatever, change color when they go near radiation and implant in our mythology that if you ever see a cat turn green, you have to get the hell out of there, then problem solved, right? There's our myth. Like, of course. So, it's so stupid.
0: It might work. I don't know. But <laughs>
1: the, the, the idea has recently gained new traction. So there's a thing called the Ray Cat Solution Movement, formed in 2015, is working to insert ray cats into the cultural vocabulary. I have inadvertently joined this movement by mentioning this. (laughs) They say it may be possible to harness some animal's innate capacity to become phosphorescent or bioluminescent or or to observe and emit light, but cats don't have that physiology. But they could engineer potentially cats that glow uh, using some sort of cellular study, and then they would make that a myth isn't that cool it's very cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: the, I... ra- the Raycat
1: solution uh,
0: yeah it's not gonna work but
1: it's great <laughs> <laughs> I just love that it's not and this is this is the like this is the US department of energy yeah this isn't just a bunch of like crackpots in in a basement no this is legitimate concern for something like that yeah. and, I love that stuff. It makes me feel so warm inside. (laughs) They're still rocking. Yeah. And the cow, like, yeah. We should notify them about the podcast. Hey, guys. We're we're, we're adding this to the cultural (laughs) site, guys. Plug us on your website. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's where we are with with those sorts of myths. And now because we're in Denmark and we have such a huge listener base here in Denmark. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. By the way, we, we've reached over a thousand listens. Ooh. Thanks, guys. It's awesome. For us, like, yeah, that's awesome. We're very happy about it. Yeah. So we are going to talk about... Well, I'm going to try and say the word, and then you're going to tell me how to say it right. Hugin and munin. Hugin and munin. Hugin and munin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Two ravens sit upon his shoulders and whisper all the news from which they see and hear into his ear. They are called. Hugin and Moonin. He sends them. You want to try that again? <laughs> no. <laughs> he sends them out in the morning to fly around the whole world, and by breakfast they are back again. Thus he finds out many new things, and this is why he is called. Raven God. You know that one? Not
0: the. Uh, quotes but I know the story, the
1: mythology, very, you know, it's just there. It's just there. He was the raven god. There's a lot of associations between ravens and war. Mm. So, of course, he's the god of war. He's the god of ravens. He's the god of so many things. So Mm -hmm. that's why he's, you know, deeply connected to these clearly smart. They must have, people thought they looked smart then. They were right. They were right. So while we were on these uh, Scandi myths, I'll give you a couple of honorable mentions before we i tell you my favorite one mm-hmm. so there's Slipnir the eight-legged horse eight-legged yep he yeah. was uh, he was um, he was the son of Loki or one of the children of Loki but yeah. in this version Loki was a was a, was the mother rather than the father because of sort of a thing that happened with a horse that I don't really want to get into hmm. <laughs> for me my favorite of the uh, Norse <laughs>
0: Sorry. It's all right. right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Norse myths are awesome. Like, I really love them. Like, outside of all the racist crap, there's some really beautifully told mythology. Yeah. And the fact that they don't know half of it, like, some of it is so lost that they have, like, the name of a godhead or a deity, but no other information about them. Yeah. And so a lot of this is just plugged together by people that want to. Yeah. keep it alive without making it about fucking horrible garbage shit like racism. So my favourite though is Fenrir, also known and mispronounced by people like me as Fenris Wolf. Fenris Wolf. Fenrir. Fenrir. So I'm going to tell you a little story about Fenrir the Wolf. So a long, long ago, like when the apocalypse was coming, Ragnarok. It was going to be the children of Loki that were going to be responsible for this, or at least some of his children, mm. to make way for the cycle. Like, there'd be a Ragnarok, and then the regeneration, and there'd be a new set of gods, and everything mm-hmm. rotates, right? No, it's not the first Odin, it's not the last Odin. Yeah, It's a cycle. So one of these uh, guys was going to be the world serpent, Jormungandr. The, the world serpent. I'll have to read it. Jormungandr. Jormungandr. Okay, yeah, so he was famous for being wrapped around the mortal world of Midgard.
0: Yeah, Midgard's, uh, the worm, or the, the worm. World Serpent. Midgard's Ormen, that's uh, in Norwegian. Um, yeah, it's um, it's an eel or some
1: sort of creature that wraps around the whole world. And this, the only reason I mention him is because, does that mean that ancient Scandinavians thought the world was a sphere, mm. or he was wrapped around the circumference? Like I don't know how flat earthers can interpret that one, yeah. or if they were ancient flat earthers, or if ancient people's perception was that he wrapped around the world, hmm. like because it what was it over the fucking disc or, or like a ring around or a land. ring yeah or he, was he more of a like ice wall hmm. style interesting monster. that's why I bring it up because yeah. it was a bit interesting thanks for validating me Fred oh, no problem <laughs> anyway <laughs> on to Fenrir. Yeah. So thank you to Herado History Blog on WordPress. So just as your Mangandar mm. was a giant snake, Fenrir was a giant wolf, and the gods were terrified of Fenrir because mm. he was the most powerful of Loki's children, and they were terrified that it left unchecked what he could do. So the gods decided to bind the great wolf, but they found that there was not a rope or chain that could be used to keep him bound and they would test him and say just as a joke be like hey how strong are you maybe we put you in these chains and see if you can break out of them (laughs) uh and he was like okay this is odd but sure (laughs) so he kept showing them that he could get out of the ropes and i think that he started to get a bit suspicious of all this after a while so in the end the gods went to these dwarfs and got them to uh, fashion a special unbreakable ribbon called glipnir, which I imagine you could probably use to tame a tick as well if you wanted. Mandy, oh, And this is what I like about glipnir. It was made from the sound of cats' footfalls, the beard of a woman, the spit of a bird, the breath of a fish, the roots of a mountain, and the nervousness of a bear.
0: Nervousness of a bear?
1: <laughs> yeah. Wait, beard of a woman? Yep. (laughs) And the sound of a cat's footfalls, (laughs) and the breath of a fish—like the reason none of these things exist. Uh huh. Uh -huh. So it's made by the impossible. And Uh if you're gonna, if you have to do something impossible, you need something impossible. Uh I love that like description of it It was made of a cat's footfalls, like so. All that went into making Glipnir. However, Fenrir was a bit wise to this and said, I'm not going to uh, let you bind me with that unless one of you put your hand in my mouth while you do it. And Tyr, who was the god of war at the time, said, all right, let's do it. I'll put my hand in the mouth. And then when Fenrir realized that he couldn't get out of the, uh, the magic rope, he bit off Tyr's hand. So Fenrir was thought to be a father as well, and his son's skull, meaning treachery, and Haiti, meaning hate, were going to chase the sun and moon across the sky. And that's why you have night and day in uh, Norse mythology. And oh. then during Ragnarok, they would finally catch it. And that's, that would destroy the sun. Their, their explanations are just so reasonable. Yeah. So Fenrir himself was to believe to be one of the participants in one of the greatest duels in all of Norse mythology. So he would be personally fighting Odin. And win. Ooh. And he would k- defeat him by swallowing him whole, but then be killed by Odin's son, Vithar, who was the god of vengeance.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, so that's exciting. There's a telling of it where it was the gods' fear of Fenrir that caused this. Hmm. That Fenrir had a pretty positive attitude before they started trying to bound him up. Hmm. And it was only because they tried to subjugate him. Hmm. That he was mad about it, and he's yeah. like, I could have been, I could have been your friend, I could yeah. have been on your side, but so you chose fun. to collect a bunch of impossible shit and ban- bind me. So fuck you, I'm gonna eat you. I'm gonna send my sons after the fucking sun. So much to learn here. Yeah, that's why it's one of my favorite myths. Hmm. Like I think it's pretty, uh, it's pretty deep. The the
0: myth I don't know the whole thing of and don't really understand, but uh, remember it profoundly from my youth is. Um, There's a story about when Thor uh, caught this uh, snake around the world. Yeah, and he had to lift it, but he
1: fails in the end because it's part of Ragnarok.
0: Yeah, but he goes out in this tiny rowing boat with the head of the biggest bull of the world tied to an anchor.
1: (laughs) But the thing is, he gets it, I think, he gets it once Hmm. and then it throws away, and then then it becomes enormous. And then the second time... He's trying to lift it, and he can't lift the world serpent. But that was one of his trials at one point, Yeah, was to lift the world serpent. And they were impressed that he could at least get a little bit off the ground. Yeah, what a... Thor, it's a, it's, a, it's a handful. So we're just going to polish this off. Like, I'm going to talk a little bit about Aesop. Mm. Like, again, these are not necessarily myths. They're morality tales. Mm. But, again, this is animals defining a lot of how we act and how we mm. sort of think so these stories have had such a direct result on our morality where does uh, this come from aesop fables so aesop was a guy who was around in this is coming from this is a book i'm reading called uh penguins popular classics <laughs> uh aesop's fables and it's selected and adapted by a guy called zach jack zipes Zack jack yeah that's a cool name <laughs> yeah. jack zipes Here we go. So Aesop, he was around circa 620 BC to 560 BC. So although it's unlikely that many of the 200 or so fables attributed to Aesop were created by him, Mm. his fame as a storyteller was so great and so widespread that practically any fable heard was likely to be ascribed to him. A little bit about his life. So, So according to legend, he was enslaved and made the property of a citizen named Iadmon who resided on the island of Samos. Impressed by Aesop's wisdom and wit, um, which used to help like settle disputes, uh, he gave Aesop his freedom. So as a free man, he was thought to have traveled to Athens, um, and his fame spread quickly and brought him to the attention of the local despot called Pisistratus, ruler of Athens and a fierce enemy of free speech. So in 560, Aesop was condemned to death for sacrilege, Uh, by the Oracle of Delphi... ooh, um, and was thrown over a cliff at Hypernia. Legend maintains that Aesop was an ugly and misshapen man... who also (laughs) suffered from a speech impediment. Uh, However, however, Mm -hmm. Plutarch's uh, statement... that the people of Athens erected a noble statue of him... would seem to contradict this. (laughs) So when free speech was finally established in Greek cities... after Aesop's death... The fables were survived to this point by word of mouth, and they were used by scholars and rhetoricians as a starting point for ethical and moralistic debate. So I thought I'd, uh, I'd give you a couple. Yeah. So my favourite one, the one that always got me, is called The Kid and the Wolf. Standing securely on a high rock, a kid noticed a wolf passing below and began to taunt him and shower him with abuse. The wolf merely stopped to reply, coward, don't think that you can annoy me. As far as I'm concerned, it's not you who's taunting me, but the place you are standing. I like that a lot. And then I'll tell you one more. This is called, The Lion, the Ass, and the Fox Who Went Hunting. One day the lion, the ass, and the fox went hunting together and it was agreed that whatever they caught would be shared between them. After killing a large stag, they decided to have a hearty meal. The lion asked the ass to divide the spoils, and after the ass made three equal parts, he told his friends to take their pick, whereupon the lion, in great indignation, seized the ass and tore him to pieces. He then told the fox to divide the spoils. And the fox gathered everything into one great pile, except for a tiny portion which he reserved for himself. Ah, friend," asked the lion, "who taught you to divide things so equally?" He said, "I needed no other lesson." Replied the fox, "Than the ass's fate." <laughs> great, but ass? It's another word for donkey. Ah, oh. yeah. <laughs> so better to learn from the mistakes of others than by your own. Yeah. That's the morality of that one. You want to listen to another random one sure you liking that <laughs> i'm loving it okay so let's have a this is just picked at random the lion and the goat oh yeah oh yeah no, no, let's go with the lion and the goat so the lion and the goat one summer's day when everyone was suffering from extreme heat a lion and a goat came to a small fountain at the same time to quench their thirst they began right away to quarrel as to which one was entitled to drink the water first and it seemed that each one would resist the others even to the point of death. However, as they rested for a moment during their argument to recover their breath, they noticed a flock of vultures hovering above them and waiting to pounce upon the loser. Consequently, they immediately settled the quarrel and agreed that it was far better for them to become friends than to furnish food for the crows and vultures. Hmm. Isn't it cool?
0: Yeah, it's very, um...
1: Yeah, it's got a positive... Swing to it. Yeah, that's what I really like about them. Yeah. So we'll do one more. Uh, The boys and the frogs. Some boys were playing at the edge of a pond when they noticed a number of frogs in the water and began pelting them with stones. Oh, it's these kids. They had already killed many of the poor creatures when one of the frogs, more courageous than the rest, we'll call him Terry, (laughs) lifted his head out of the water and cried, cried out to them, stop your cruel games my boys what you think is play is death to us which is true like i think that's a great one for animals right like that's a good concept like it might be fun to fuck with animals birds the terry's not going to be happy about it oh no, that was just that yeah that's it they're all really short like this is the cool thing and like you'd know yeah. some of these like you'd know the boy who cried wolf you yeah. know the tortoise and the hare yeah you'd know the dog in the manger. Never heard. A dog made his bed in a manger and kept the horses from eating their food by snarling and growling at them. A manger is like a horse feeding spot. Hmm. See what a miserable cur this dog is, said one of the horses. Even though he himself cannot eat hay, <laughs> he won't allow anyone else to eat it who can. Um, and then we should not deprive others of their blessings simply because we cannot enjoy them ourselves. Isn't it cool? Well, I've read this book no. uh, cover to cover. I will, yeah, I think that's enough. Are you, are you satisfied with fables, um, or you want to hear one more? I want to borrow the book. Yeah, you can borrow the book for that. Yes. All right, we'll just plug in. <laughs> all right, so that's, you know... Penguin op- classics. Always <laughs> leave on <them> wanting more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: ah, I feel we just scratched the surface of mythical animals. It should be... Uh, maybe that'll be the but you could, sister podcast. You could have a whole...
1: you could Yeah, you could go forever. Yeah. Like, you yeah. Know, you become that myth about the two guys that talked about mythical animals until Ooh. they turned into sparrows and flew off to the
0: elephant kingdom. <laughs> and one of them was a horse who roamed Copenhagen. And one of them was a horse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll talk about who's in the finale, but yeah. it's not going to come up no. soon. we have to reveal at some point.
0: Yeah. Anyway, always leave them wanting more. This is uh, Fred and Al, Alan Fred, uh, checking out. Strange and mythological world powerful pets. Be nice to animals or they gonna fuck you up, yo. <laughs> yeah don't throw pebbles at them. Yeah. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you next week. Right. Bye bye.